Well, good morning. I'm uh, very excited about this morning's message just because I know how much the Lord has been working and using it in my own life um, and the practical applications of that. And so I, I hope and pray that uh, it's as practical and as applicable and helpful to you in your walk with the Lord. Would you open your Bibles to John chapter 18? We're going to be beginning in verse 28. We've worked all the way through the book of John. We've not skipped one single verse uh, to make it here. What a blessing that's been. As we begin and as you're turning to John chapter 18, verse 28, I do want to uh, clarify one of those announcements, which I think I misspoke maybe last week as well. Um, Our upcoming church directory, we have pictures. We want everybody to get pictures. um, But that specifically is going to be in a directory for members. And then there's also going to be pictures available for everyone um, that you're able to get for your family. And so I just wanted there to to not be um, confusion as we move forward. So with that being said, John chapter 18, beginning in verse 28, we're going to work through a pretty lengthy portion of scripture this morning. We're going to see three main characters. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking at Pontius Pilate, the Roman ruler, the Roman governor of that time in that area, and then also the religious Jewish leaders. And typically, uh, when we work through this passage, I've heard sermon after sermon focus on Jesus, and rightly so, and focus on the words of Jesus, what he said, what he didn't say, and what he meant. But this morning, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to look at the life and the lessons of Pontius Pilate and the Jewish leaders. So let me pray as we begin in the Word of God this morning. God, we do give you praise that we're able to be here this morning to open your word. God, I pray that you may use me as an instrument for your purposes and your will, not because of my merit or not because I am deserving of that responsibility or that privilege, um, but God, because you are and it is your word and you deserve all honor, glory, and praise. So I pray this morning that you may change lives. Holy Spirit, may you get a hold of our life. May you convict in areas that need conviction. May you comfort those who need comfort. God, may you bring to light things in our own heart. God, if there's someone here and they don't have a relationship with you, may you radically save them this morning as you once saved me. Even as we just sang about, God, we're so undeserving of this love and grace you've given. May that love and grace continue as we open your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 18, verse 28, Jesus before Pilate, says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was in the house of Caiaphas that they had already really pronounced judgment on Jesus, saying they wanted him gone. He was going to be put to death. That was their goal. But now they bring Jesus to the governor's house. And then it says this, It was early morning. Amanda and I's definition of morning, let alone early morning, has dramatically changed over the past couple of years with children now in our life. Morning used to be one time, and and now it's a totally different time. So early morning to us is probably kind of like this passage. This was probably around 3 to 4 a.m. And so with the time change that we just all received, we just... uh, We just talked about this late last night. For those of you who don't have kids, uh, I hope you had that extra hour of sleep. Um, For those of you with kids, we got nothing. 
because uh, our kids woke up at the same time, except we just had to get up with them at the same time as well. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate between the hours of 3, 4, maybe 5 a.m. I'm sure Pilate wasn't awake yet. And so they're bringing Jesus in the middle, really, in the middle of the morning before the sun's even up, bringing him to Pilate. And it says, they themselves did not enter into the governor's headquarters because they wanted to celebrate Passover. They didn't want to be defiled. They couldn't enter into something unclean like that. So they remained outside of his house because they wanted to continue in the celebrations after Jesus was put to death. And notice how accommodating Pilate was, the Roman ruler of them. I can tell you if I was awoken at 3 or 4 a.m., and this was during the cold season, I had to go out at 3 or 4 a.m. from my warm bed to outside because they didn't come in his house. He had to go outside to them, and it was roughly 30 to 40 degrees outside. I would not have been happy. But he comes out to them, verse 29, and he says, why are you bringing me this man? They answered him. And notice the word games, the, the Jewish leaders here. If this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. I'm sure Pilate was wondering why they were bringing him and why such early hours of the morning. So he said to them, verse 31, take him yourself and judge him by your own laws. You have laws. We're not, we're not the people who are engaged in this. You go judge him by your own laws. What do I have to do with this? And this is where the Jews found themselves in a dilemma, which is why they were trying to get Pontius Pilate involved in the first place. And the only way they were going to get Pilate's help was to make their problem of Jesus the problem of Pilate as well. And so we see for the next portion of this passage how they are trying to shift their problem of Jesus to Pontius Pilate's problem of Jesus as well. The next verse is it says, The Jews said to Pilate, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the words that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, when Rome came into a country and they subjugated that country and they took that country over, they imposed Roman rule, Roman law, the superior law, so they saw it, over those people. And so those people could no longer have the authority or the power to put people to death because they didn't want that culture to put a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen to death. So they took that authority away from them. And so the Jewish nation did not have the authority to execute what maybe they thought they should have. And so they bring Jesus to Pilate. In his commentary on John, James Montgomery Boyce says this about the Roman rulers and the Roman court. It has been said of the ancient world that Judea gave the world religion. Greece gave the world letters, but Rome gave law. And so we see this judicial system that still studied today, this Roman law where many of our Western civilization laws really came from Rome in a lot of ways. And so the Jews found themselves in a few dilemmas. One, they didn't have the authority or power to put Jesus to death, and that's what they wanted to do. But secondly, we saw all the way through the Gospels how they wanted to put Jesus to death multiple times, but they were afraid of the people. So this is why they arrested Jesus at night. This is why they're bringing him to get this dealt with early in the morning before the sunrise had even begun. So they're only just beginning to make this a case for why this is now Pilate's problem. Because as of right now, Pilate's going to say, 
this is your problem. You go deal with it. You see, Pilate wanted to keep the peace. He wanted to obey Roman rule and law. And Pilate was all about Rome. And the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, were all about the Jewish law. And so here you have Jesus, and the Jewish leaders are saying he deserves to be put to death. And Pilate is the one who's going to have to decide that. But Pilate is in the predicament of nothing in our Roman law says this man should deserve death. So how are they going to make a religious issue become a political issue? That was really what the Jewish leaders were trying to figure out. How do we get Pilate involved to where this is now his problem, a political problem, because he doesn't care about the religious problems. So we come here, and we see in verse 33, it says, So Pilate entered his headquarters again. So he came from the inside of his house. He went outside, talked with the Jewish leaders. He says he goes back in the house. He's talking with Jesus, and he says this to him, Are you the king of the Jews? The Jewish leaders made it a political issue with Pilate, saying Jesus is not only saying he's this religious leader, but he's trying to establish himself as a king. Well, now it's become political. Now it's, it's getting into the realm of what Rome should have to deal with. And so this is how the Jewish leaders forced Pilate to get involved, not making it a religious issue, but a political one. You see, anyone who places themselves as king does so against Caesar himself. So verse 34, Jesus responds to Pilate and says, Do you say this out of your own accord or just because the others said it to you? Pilate answered him and he says this, Am I a Jew? Meaning this shouldn't even be my problem. This is your problem. Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? See, Pilate knew that the Jews so despised the Roman rulers that it, it was very rare that they would bring one of their own to be put to death at hands by the Romans. And so Pilate is trying to figure out what is going on. Why are they delivering this man at this hour, at this time of day, to us to put him to death? What could this man have possibly done? Jesus answered, verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he said this, he went back outside Remember, the Jews, the Jewish leaders, are, are waiting outside. So he's inside interrogating, talking with Jesus, comes back outside. They're, they're outside, and he says this in verse 38, I find no guilt in him. Pilate, the authority, the Roman ruler, the one who has the power to put Jesus to death, comes and says he's innocent. But then listen to what Pilate does next in verse 39. He says, but... You have a custom that I should release one man to you at Passover. So do you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Barabbas was a thief. See, Pilate knew what they were up to. In Matthew 27, verses 17 through 18, he asks the same question. We see the same kind of picture, but we get this little information here. It says, for he knew, verse 18, that it was out of envy 
that the Jewish leaders delivered Jesus up to begin with. So Pilate finds him innocent, and that should be the end of it, right? He's the authority, and he says, Jesus is innocent. But then, in a people-pleasing attitude, he, he tries to twist the situation to where he knows if he just comes out and says he's innocent, you guys disperse that that's not going to cut it. So he's trying to find a way, how do I make this a win-win situation? How do I release Jesus, but also make them feel like they've won? Make them feel like they're getting something. And so that's why he kind of came out with this deal of, maybe I can release somebody. Well, who should have been released? If Jesus was innocent already, he should have not had the even option of being released because he was already declared innocent. The problem is the Jewish leaders didn't take the bait. So Pilate finds himself now more immersed in this problem. So what is Pilate to do? He's already tried to fish, and, and it didn't work. And so now what is he going to do? After he just tried to sell them, is he going to take that away? No, he has to do something else. Chapter 19, verse 1, it says, Pilate then took Jesus and flogged him. Now, this flogging was a lighter sentence. It was for minor offenses. This isn't the scene that we're all thinking about where Jesus is, is almost to the point of death because of the beating. It says, the two soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So here again, we see Pilate having an innocent man that he knew was innocent flogged due to his fear of the Jewish leaders and his sin of people pleasing. Now listen to the hypocrisy we see in verse 4. Pilate went out again. So he went in, had Jesus beaten, came out again hoping to appease says, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Second time that Pilate has declared Jesus innocent. Verse 5, So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Surely Pilate might have been thinking to himself, Surely I have now appeased these Jewish leaders and I'm going to keep the peace, and I'm going to bring them out. They're going to see what we've done. They're going to see the humiliation. They're going to see he's been taught a lesson, and then they're going to disperse. But he misjudged how much they hated him. The Jewish leaders didn't just want Jesus taught a lesson. They wanted him removed. Verse 6, the chief priests and the officers saw him. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt within him. Third time, Pilate has now declared him innocent. Now, he was using sarcasm because he knew the Jews could not crucify him. They didn't have the power or authority. But again, he announced his innocence. Now, listen to what happens next. The Jewish leaders begin manipulating and coercing and forcing their will over to Pilate. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, if you're just reading the Gospel of John, you might wonder, what statement is he afraid of? I didn't, I didn't see anything he was afraid of there. But in Matthew 27, we see a glimpse, and when he's there, his wife sends him word when he's sitting on the judgment seat, verse 19, it says, His wife, Pilate's wife, 
sent word to him saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And so we see that so we see that Jesus is declared and this person comes up and the wife is saying, listen, there has been a dream and have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Now, Romans considered that when dreams or omens came in, the messages of God. And so he's a superstitious man. He really believes that this was a dream from God. Notice that every time Pilate was alone with Jesus, he sees his innocence. And then he goes out to the crowd and what happens, church? He caves in to the pressures and the fears of the world. He caves in to what he knew was wrong. Verse 9. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority at all unless it had been given from above. What a bold statement to say to Pilate, who's in this situation. And Jesus knew what authority he had. He said, You would have no authority unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he delivered me over to you as the greater sin. After such a bold statement, listen to verse 12. It says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. He's the one in control, right? Why couldn't he just release him? He had gotten so far and so tangled up in this situation due to his people-pleasing and his sin and his compromising that he couldn't get away from it. And church, this is the same way sin gets a hold of us. We begin down a process, and we get so far bought into the process that it's hard to turn back. It's just like an investment. If you've ever made an investment and you begin losing some money, how hard is it to sell? You're always kind of wanting it to come back and you begin emotionally involved. There's a lot of illustrations, but we can see that he says, I'm seeking to release him. But then it says, the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And then they said this, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Do you see how there's a war between Pilate and the Jewish leaders? And they both have their end goal in mind, and they're at war with one another. When Pilate heard these words, where everyone who opposes or makes himself a king opposes Caesar, it says, when he heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Verse 16, So Pilate delivered him over to be crucified. So what we've seen so far is this dramatic scene, and and we've seen what's happened on the outside, but this morning, I want us to look and see what was happening in their hearts and in their minds, and then we're going to turn that and see how it applies to us today, practically. The first point, and it's really the whole point throughout the whole sermon this morning, is this. Pilate and the Jewish leaders both compromised 
their convictions for their idols of choice. Now, we know what Pilate stood for. He stood for Roman law, justice, order. It wasn't a relationship with the Lord. It wasn't for God-glorifying purposes, but he still had convictions. Maybe not the same convictions you and I hold. The Jewish leaders held many of the same convictions that we hold, but it doesn't even seem like they're believers. They're crucifying the Son of God. But on outward appearance, they have a lot of the same convictions you and I would hold. They tried to follow the Old Testament. But both of them set apart in themselves an idol that they were going to pursue in part of that, and it led them to compromise everything they believed in. Both Pilate and the Jews wanted to keep their power and their position. They were threatened. So the Jews were threatened by Jesus. They couldn't continue their way of life. They couldn't continue having the power and the authority that they once had because Jesus continued to cause problems for them. See, Jesus came along and said, it looks good on the outside, but here's really what's on the inside of these religious leaders. And so they came to a point where their life and the way they were doing life could not exist with Jesus in the mix. Pilate also wanted to keep power. He also wanted to keep position. And he was afraid that by not doing what the Jews wanted, there would be unrest. So maybe Pilate's fears ultimately would be, if I don't do this, will Caesar hear about it? Will Caesar hear that I've allowed a man to go on? Will, will I get in trouble? Will I get reprimanded? Will there be unrest? Will Caesar come here himself? And so Pilate and the Jewish leaders both compromised their convictions because of what they placed at the end of the day to be the idol that they wanted. You have a chart that looks like this in your bulletin this morning. I want you to go ahead and grab that chart. And we're going to walk through kind of what this looks like. And I first want to use the Jewish leaders that we've heard, that we've been discussing about this morning. The Jewish leaders have this desire that they want Jesus out of the picture. And so we see the desire here of it's I want. Now it's not sin at this point. All of us have desires. Desire, the Bible says, is not sin until it becomes a desire that trumps your love for the Lord. And so there's this line of idolatry that we have here. And when our desire becomes a demand and it becomes something I have to have, I must have, and we're willing to compromise our convictions, our love for the Lord, it becomes idolatry. And what happens is, and this is what happened with the Jewish leaders, is it would be nice for Jesus to not be around. And then it became, well, how do we make him not be around? And they were willing to sell out all their convictions, even to put him to death. And what happened is their desire went to a demand, and then it went to a need, and then they had the expectation that he would be put to death. And when Pilate said he was innocent, what happened? They became disappointed. You didn't, you should, because this is what he did, and he didn't live up to our laws. And by the way, what happened? When they were disappointed, and Pilate said, no, he's innocent, then what did they do? they began to come up with ways to punish Pilate. Caesar will hear of this. There will be unrest. And this is just one example that we have. But I want to work through some other examples because this chart really applies to most everything we have in life. Walking through the grocery store, you have a child 
And all of a sudden, they see that sparkly, shiny toy, right? And there's a desire. And all of a sudden, that desire becomes a need. They needed this toy, and, and they didn't know until they saw it that this was what they had to have in their life, right? And so it quickly escalated to, I will. And then all of a sudden, they built this expectation that mommy and daddy have to get me this toy. I have to have this toy. And when we say no, what can happen? Right, church? I mean, we've all seen it. We've all had it happen with our own children. You've done it before, right? There's disappointment. You didn't when I expected. So what's the punishment like with that child sometimes? There's going to be a scene. You're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. You're going to pay, right? One way or the other, you're going to pay either in humiliation or in what I say or screaming or kicking or whatever it may be. But this plays out, even in us as adults, the same exact way. Now, hopefully it's not with kicking or screaming, (laughs) but it can be, right? I think we've all seen it can be um, happening sometimes that way as well. And so I kind of want to work through a couple of these illustrations here. As we look at the Jews and as we look at Rome... One thing before we get into some of these practical applications is it's incredible to see how God used two parties that were extreme opposite parties come together in the death of Jesus Christ. We have election coming up this week, right? I know all of you are excited about that and also excited for it to be over with. If you haven't voted, I encourage you to go vote. But we have these two parties, these two main parties, and they are at extreme opposite ends of the spectrum, right? You couldn't be more diverse. Well, this would be like both of them coming together in perfect unity to make a decision on something. You see Rome, who is all about rule of law, justice, man's opinion. And then you have the Jewish leaders who are supposed to be all about the law of God, the court of heaven. In fact, it was so hard to put somebody to death in Jewish courts because they so valued life. And in Rome, they so valued justice as well as innocence. And here you see Pilate compromising his convictions. And you see the Jewish leaders compromising all of their convictions as well. And what's incredible is at the beginning in, verse, in chapter 18 all the way down to chapter 19, you see the culmination of these together in one verse alone. Look in John chapter 19. Verse 16. It's quite incredible. This is where they both compromised. They both got what they wanted. Their idols were met. But both of them compromised everything. It says, The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then you have Pilate compromising everything he believed in, according to Roman rule. So he delivered him over to be crucified. In one verse, you see how both compromised everything. That's the power of sin and them chasing after you. Do you think the Jewish leaders the day before came to the conclusion, we're willing to sell out, sell our soul for everything to get rid of Jesus? I mean, do you think before they came up with this process that they would be saying, we will worship Caesar himself to get rid of Jesus? 
I don't think so. The same with Pontius Pilate. Do you think he woke up that morning saying, I can't wait to throw everything away I believe in and put an innocent man to death? I can't wait to do that today. No, but that's the power of sin, is once you start down that road and you've set something as the end goal in mind you desire, whether for Pilate it be peace or whether it be the Jewish rulers, Jesus gone, they compromised everything along the way. And this is what sin does in our life. It's often said, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's exactly what we see happening with both of these groups this morning. So I want us to work through some of these illustrations in our own life. I think they'll apply to many of our lives. Many are from my own life, and some I borrowed from Pastor Terry's life. So, <laughs> Jamie, I'm just kidding. Yes, I'm just kidding. All right, so uh, we might not do it over a toy, but here, here's a good example. I know that, that I've done in my own life is whether you have kids or not, this applies. You come home from a hard day at work. You and your spouse, or maybe they had a hard day at work, and you have your own expectations of what you want to do when you get home. You had a hard day. There were some tough meetings. There were some things that went down at work. You're just going to be excited to be home and able just to relax. And you've kind of been daydreaming when you have a couple of minutes. You've kind of been daydreaming at work that you just can't wait to get home and do such and such, whether it be to sit on the couch or kick back and kick your shoes off or watch a little bit of your favorite show or whatever it is, and you get home and you begin that process, and then the other person comes in and says, oh, I'm so glad you're home, right? And they have something that they've been thinking, I can't wait until they get home so they can do whatever. How do we respond when you lay back on that couch and you're excited about taking just five minutes, five minutes so I can just sit down and breathe. And then you're asked immediately, hey, can you watch the kids? I needed to run and do something. Or you sit down to watch that show and you're immediately interrupted because the other person, the spouse, has had something they've been waiting all day for you that only you can do, right? Well, immediately we can go from, if I can get that chart again, immediately we can go from, I have a desire for this to happen to, oh, I just can't wait to get it. This is a need. I mean, I've worked so hard today. I deserve this when I get home. And you're kind of daydreaming about it. And then you just automatically go to where you kind of have this expectation. The spouse expects and knows that you've had a really long day. So you're just kind of expecting that they're going to go with that flow. And then when that doesn't happen, you're disappointed. And that can easily end up for the rest of your night that maybe you guys are having dinner, right? And you're having dinner in a setting that's punishment. I think we've all had punishing dinners before. And that punishment might be the cold and silent treatment, the cold shoulder. I mean, it could be anger, whatever it is. But this is just one example of how this works in our life. I know another example. We'll have a lot of examples this morning. Uh, I know another example of maybe there's a special day, a special occasion, an anniversary, and you have in your mind, how you expect that to go. The problem is, what's on the other side? Your spouse may have an ex expectation of how they kind of want that anniversary to go as well. 
And so you don't really communicate, but you are thinking through and you kind of work through the process. And before you know it, you have the whole day or whatever it is planned out. And at some point, those two collide together. And you realize they don't care about what I had planned out. And they feel like you don't care. You're just pushing through with your agenda. And it can easily lead to disappointment, to punishment. I remember in college, you know, you go from being a baby to elementary school to middle school to high school. And in college, you're physically there, but there's still some things emotionally, spiritually, where you just kind of still assume that a lot of things you deserve. Right? I think we still even can do that as adults. I remember in college that I had elevated a desire into a need. I had a, I had a truck that I was blessed to have in high school to drive, and it was a nice truck, but I was going away to college. And so I had made this getting rid of my truck to sell and get a car into a need because I'm going to be driving back and forth to college. I need a, a, a car with better gas mileage And isn't it funny how we can always make a desire look better than it is, like a need? Like, I can make a case for anything that I really want, why I need to have it. I think I saw you Amazon shoppers earlier, all right? So I think we all know how to do this pretty well. So I had this desire of sell my truck and get a car. And it kind of turned into a demand. This is what I really need to do. This is a need. It's going to save me a lot in gas mileage. And it wasn't a need. I only lived two hours away from my college. I know, right? But anyways, I made it into a need. So I had this expectation. And and the goal was I'm going to sell my truck, use that money towards a car. And my parents who were divorced, one was going to come in and help pay for some of it. And the other was going to pay for the rest. Right? (laughs) I mean, it's just a perfect plan. I mean, I don't know why this would not be expected I mean, it's just expected that they always said that they would kind of help with these things, right? So what happened is, is is this went forward. One parent was on board, the one I'd been talking with. It just kind of came up all of a sudden to the other parent. And they're like, well, I, I don't really think that that's probably a good idea. And I don't think that's the kind of car you should get. And I'd kind of already settled on, on that one. And <laughs> another thing, which they ended up being right after I got the car. But so I had this... I've told them that, don't worry. So I had this disappointment that as soon as they said, well, I don't think that's a good idea. What I did selfishly was my punishment to them was because you didn't, I will punish you. And so what I did as a son to my parent who provided so many ways for me was write an email saying all the ways where they said they would do things like this in the past rough, right? And you don't even realize what you're fighting for. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, I realized the selfishness of what I did. And I've, you know, gone to that parent and apologized. And I still have that email that I wrote today. But I'm sure many of us can think back on times where we kind of had a desire and it turned into a need and we become disappointed. We immediately lash out. This can even be with routines in your own life. You have a routine You are the kind of person you like to do such and such at this time, this way. And what happens when someone kind of bumps into that routine? 
or God forbid, breaks the routine, right? How do you respond? This is the way I always do it. And you immediately can go from, I have a need for it to be this way. I mean, all of us set up routines for good purposes. But when our routines become an idol that we have to have it this way or else, or, or I'm no longer going to glorify God in the process, well, that's when it becomes a problem. I know, again, I don't know, why am I the one sharing all this stuff here, by the way? But I know, again, for me growing up, that this process of routines was a huge struggle for me. My mom would have to call home and tell my brothers, hey, we had a change of plans tonight. You need to let Casey gently know. So that, because my world, I mean, I had my world built of what we were going to do and this and this, and then we were going to go out to eat. And, and if those plans changed, it was hard for me to function. Now, God destroyed all those plans because I met a girl, right, who is the most spontaneous, fun, adventure-loving woman who would just be like on a whim, hey, let's go have an adventure. Let's climb a mountain. Let's go skydiving. Let's go. And I'm like, we're in Florida, you know. <laughs> but she will all of a sudden. So I went from being married to someone who's spontaneous and wanting to do all stuff. And, and that was a collision of my idols, of, of this person. And if there was any of that idol left, God surely destroyed it with two children, a two-year-old, one-year-old, and another on the way. I mean, you're going to town, and there's a blowout, right? And I'm not talking about the tire in the car. I'm talking about the diaper blowout that's happening there. And you just have to be flexible. You're, you're forced to be flexible. And so these are things where it could easily go from, we have to get there at this time, to God's just destroying all of that. And we're just going to get there when we get there. And to God be the glory along the way. Um, and so there's just a lot of areas. And I, and I hope you see that the Holy Spirit is, is using in your own life what you struggle with. Whether it be you're sitting down watching the game and someone comes and interrupts you, right? There's a game you've been excited about and you have to stop. And well, how do you respond through this process? What about... Here's a, a really good one. What about when you're watching a movie and someone comes up and they're sitting beside you and they begin asking you a question about the movie, right? I mean, I know for me, I see a lot of you like, like looking, <laughs> giving somebody the, the eye there. I know a lot of times I've ramped up from this, I just, I just want to watch this movie in peace, right? And by the way, Everyone on the planet has the expectation when you're watching a movie that you do it quietly, right? It would seem, I would think everyone has that same expectation, but apparently not everyone does. And so you're watching a movie, and there's this expectation that this person might have that they don't understand something, and they need to understand it right now. And so I know for me that I've ramped up this desire of watching a movie or this demand of I have to watch this movie in peace all the way through the punishment. And this punishment might look like this. Not that I've ever done this before, right? <laughs> I know you all can agree with me. That's why you're laughing, right? So you can be watching a movie and they ask a question and you say, are we not watching the same movie? <laughs> or 
I didn't watch the behind-the-scenes feature. I didn't read the book. That's why I'm watching the movie. Or how did, are we, we're watching the same thing. How can I know anything more about it than you know? You know, and so we have this, great, now I missed it. Now I'm going to have to rewind it or put on subtitles, you know, and there's all these things that we get frustrated about, and we turn to punishment, and we might punish them by belittling them or using language or whatever it might be to make them be punished. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant with, and you've seen someone, and they've ordered something somewhat obscure, very specific, right? And they, how, how many of you have ever been, and there's somebody ordering, ordering something? Like two people? Really? So I know I've been, and they've ordered something like, I'll take a water with half ice, a slice of lime, and a bowl of lemons. And along with that, because I like to drink both, I want a sweet tea that's half sweet and half unsweet. And, and, and then when they don't get that, you kind of know because they're so particular in their order, when they don't get that, they go through this, this is what I ask for, this is what I'm expecting, this was not delivered, so I'm disappointed, and now I'm going to punish the server, the waiter, or whoever it is. I know some years back, I remember sitting with a churchgoer, and don't worry, the person's not here, right? But sitting with a churchgoer, this was a professing believer, and they ordered something somewhat obscure, and I remember when it didn't get delivered, to their expectation, there was immediate disappointment, and they spoke to the waiter in such a way that their tone and their sharpness of voice immediately changed to where, you know, we're having this conversation about spiritual things and the Lord, and then all of a sudden, something didn't get delivered to their expectation, and now there was a punishment in their voice towards this person, and I really believe this person had no idea they were doing that. They've just lived in the system that their expectations are what should be met, always. And when it wasn't, they kind of lashed out after it. And they had no idea this was happening. And so we need to be careful and cautious and also love each other enough, church, that when we do that, when I do that, or I respond to my wife, that you come to me, or that we go to each other and say, hey, did you realize that, that the way you responded? Because a lot of times we don't even realize we do it. But we ramp through, this is what I have to have, and when we don't get it, this is, begin thinking through this week when you get into a little spat or an argument or you're tempted to be frustrated. We've looked at the Jews. We've looked at Pontius Pilate, how they compromised their convictions for their idol of choice, how we, church, compromise our convictions for whatever we place at the top as our idol of choice, and when we don't get it, because we've crossed the line of idolatry, we punish those. By the way, this is the same way it works in almost every sin. Take sexual sin, for instance, or addictions. You have a desire that I just want this to be part of my marriage. And when it's not met, and we think this is what I have to have, it becomes a need. I just, I just want this. It becomes a need. And when it's a need, you're kind of expecting it. And when you're not getting it somewhere, you, you think you deserve it, so it's sought elsewhere. And what ended up being something you were just wanting selfishly, by the time it's over, it's, it's hurt the spouse, it's hurt the children. This is the same way with substance addictions. It starts as a personal sin for selfish gain, and by the time it works all the way through, 
there's punishment at the end. Hopefully this morning, the Holy Spirit has brought to your attention, out of a love for you, areas you struggle with. I know all this week it's been areas I struggle with where we can compromise on areas we've placed and we've elevated to a higher position in our life than we should. And that's what brings us here this morning, is that we look to one who has never compromised. We look to Jesus Christ, who is our hope, he is our joy, he is our Lord, he's our Savior, and he never compromised in his convictions. His mission was to come and to seek and to save the lost. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, he came, he lived for you, he died for you. As we sang this morning, he took the death that you deserve, the wrath of God that you deserve because of your compromising, he never compromised. And he paid that on the cross for you. So I encourage you, in the next few moments, we're going to have a time of prayer. For those of you who know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you to spend some time praying about the things that maybe God has revealed in your own heart this morning that you know you struggle with, that you can easily ramp up that punishment phase. If you don't know Jesus Christ or you're not even sure if you're a believer or you want to learn about this, I just encourage you to spend some time in prayer and ask the Lord to reveal himself to you, to call out to him, ask him to save you the best you know how. Let's take a moment and pray and then I'll close. God, we come to you and we give you praise this morning. God, we are thankful that you love us, even though I know we compromise in so many areas of what it means to have love and grace and truth in our life and to love one another and to be eager to maintain the unity of what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. God, we thank you for the example we've seen in your word of of how these Jewish leaders and how Pontius Pilate, even though they weren't strong believers like we're talking about in our own life today, but how they compromised their convictions for an idol and how so easily we do the same thing, whether it be the idol of being right or the idol of wanting rest when when we should be up serving others or whatever it might be, the comforts of something that we enjoy, uh, we so easily place that as a priority above all else. Uh, And we hurt people along the way in seeking that as a priority. So God, I pray that you may forgive us for that, as we know you already have. But we just confess that to you this morning. I pray that you may work on all of our hearts in areas where we need to be so loving and caring for one another as you have been caring for us. Uh, Help us to be mindful of how easily we can ramp this desire uh, to become a demand. I pray for those here who may not know you as Lord and Savior. Uh, God, help them just to call out to you this morning. Um, Help them to trust in you that you really came to this earth out of a love for them, that, that you lived a perfect life, you never sinned, that you hung on the cross for them, you were buried 
but you rose again, conquering death and conquering sin. God, that's what we have our joy and our hope in. That's what we have this assurance of our salvation in, is what you came and did. So God, we thank you that you never compromised, but you were always faithful to the Lord every day. And so God, we want to end in singing praise to you, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.